Good. Okay, this is the second of a two-part piece on Edim Zomamin, which was occasioned by the Mishnah in the parak that we studied previously, Merubah, uh, that dealt with uh, the issue of Edim Zomamin. And I'll do a little review because it's been a couple of weeks since we studied together in this format. Um, the the uh, Mishnah says as follows. You have it in front of you in source one. Ganav al pishnayim, which means the person stole the animal. Okay, we're talking about an ox or a sheep or a lamb. Uh, and there's two witnesses who testify to it. And those same witnesses testify to his either selling or killing the animal, which we'll get him. And it turns out that these guys are Adim Zomimim, which we'll define in a few moments uh, about all of it. I mean, he didn't touch any, he wasn't involved with any of this. Mishalmim lo etakol. They have to pay him, let's say it was an ox, and they claim that he stole an ox worth $10,000 and killed it. They have to pay him $50,000. Let's say instead he stole, and there's two people testify that he stole, and two other people testify that he did tvichal mechira. And if all four of them turn out to be Edim Zomim, then the first two guys, we'll call them Ruben and Shimon, who testified that he stole, and they're Edim Zomim. By the way, it could be that he stole. Remember, we're, we're going to define Edim Zomim in a few minutes. But their testimony was Muzam. Then they pay $20,000 to him. And Lulevi Yehuda, who testified that he killed it, paid the other 30000 Now, but let's say only Levi and Yehuda turn out to be Zomim. Whom is Shalim Tashlumi Kefel? The thief, we'll call him Mike, who stole from Bob. Mike has to pay 20000 to Bob because of Geneva. And Levi and Yehuda pay to Mike 30000 Is it all clear, the numbers and the people? Okay. Now, let's say that one of the last two guys, meaning Levi or Yehuda, turns out to be an aid zomeim. That destroys the testimony of Levi and Yehuda. And that means that Mike has to pay $20,000, and that's it. But let's say that Ruvain or Shimon turns out to be an Eid Zomeim, then the entire testimony is lost, including Levi and Yehuda's. Why? Now, I want you to get the picture here. Mike allegedly stole an ox from Bob, and then sold it or killed it. Reuven and Shimon come and testify to the theft. Levi and Yehuda subsequently testify, or for earlier, testify that they saw Mike sell that same ox to somebody or kill it. And now it turns out that Reuven is Muzam, which means the Reuven and Shimon's testimony is out. If it's out, then Levi and Yehuda's testimony is no longer relevant. Because Tfichal Mechira only work built on on uh, on Gneva. Okay, I think that's that's fairly clear. Now, um, what we did really at the beginning of last time was talked about Edim Zomim, and I want to quickly review it, even though we don't have the Psukim in front of us. Uh, they're on the previous source page, but to just talk about Edim Zomim in general, how would you translate the phrase Edim Zomim? How would you just translate it? False witness. False witnesses, that would be called a day sheker. Conspiring witnesses? Yes, conspiring. And that's exactly what the word means, as we see in the parsha 
ועשיתם לו כאשר זמם לעשות לאחיו. The phrase אדים זוממים does not show up anywhere in Tanakh. אדים זוממים is rabbinic construct. But the word זומם shows up in the Parsha when it says that we give to them what they conspired to do to their fellow. כאשר זמם לעשות לאחיו. Right, by the way, that same word appears in a very painful passage in Eicha. Zamam Hashem, Asasha Hashem Kasher Zamam. Hashem did what he conspired to do. So it involves some sort of plotting something evil against someone. So Edim Zomim are really conspiring witnesses. Now, what's the sense? What do we think they're conspiring? Because one guy can't bring testimony. So the notion is that two guys or more get together and say, We're really going to hurt Mike. We're going to come to court and we're going to say that on Tuesday we were uh, standing outside of Bob's uh, barn and we saw Mike go in and steal an animal. And we're going to get Mike uh, suddenly, you know, lose his reputation and have to pay a lot of money and all that kind of stuff. They're plotting against him, right? That's Adim Zomim. Now, critically, and again, this was reviewed from last time, how are Adim Zomim identified? So important to note, and they're not identified by, and we'll see this in the Rambam in a few minutes, they're not identified by somebody disproving or challenging the facts of their testimony. So for instance, if Reuven and Shimon come and say, Mike stole Bob's ox on Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock, and Levi and Yuda come along and say, we were there at 2 o'clock and Mike didn't steal Bob's ox. That's not Edut Muzemet. What are Levi and Yehuda essentially doing in their second testimony, in their counter-testimony? How would you describe what they're doing? They're proving that they, the witnesses couldn't have witnessed what they witnessed. No, listen again. I'll, I, I know that's what Edut is. I want to give an example of what it's not. Reuben and Shimon come and testify. At 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, we were passing Bob's ranch, and we saw Mike go in and steal an animal, right? Levi knew to come and say that Mike was with us at the ball game, or we were there with you guys, and Mike wasn't even around. That's not Adim Zomim. What is that? It's uh, challenging the facts. Exactly. That's called hachashat edut. Lahachish means to deny. And what you essentially have is Reuben and Shimon saying X happened, And Levi and Yudah saying, X didn't happen. And by the way, we have no reason to believe Reuven and Shimon over Levi and or vice versa. And so in that case, what do we do? The answer is we do nothing. We have a double knockout. We have no testimony. We're finished. What is a dut muzemet? Reuven and Shimon say, we were standing in front of uh, Mike Bob's barn on 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, and Mike went in and stole the animal. Levi and Yudah come and say what? Reuven Shimon were with us somewhere else. We were at the ball game in San Francisco watching the Lions lose at two o'clock all afternoon on Sunday. Which means what are they contesting? And that's critical. They're not contesting the information that Reuven and Shimon are providing. It may very well be that Mike stole Bob's animal. And it might have happened Sunday at two o'clock. What they're challenging is the As, as the essence of the testimony, not the facts of the testimony. They're challenging the testimony itself, meaning Reuben and Shimon cannot testify to something that happened in Burbank at two o'clock on Sunday 
because Reuben and Shimon were in San Francisco at the at the, the stadium with us. So what what's it called? I forgot. Right, and that's Adim Zomim. Okay, so now in our Mishnah, that's what we're referring to when when Edut becomes Muzamet. Now, as a result of that, what happens when we have definitively Edim Zomim? They are made to, in the case of financial loss, pay the amount that they attempted to get the wrongly accused defendant to pay. They have to pay that to him. Right? That's the that's the halacha. When it comes to other things, they accuse them of doing capital crime or a corporal crime, then they're punished in kind. There's one critical difference. The Mishnah Makot points out that if, for instance, Reuven and Shimon did this, and instead Mike stole, and it turns out they were with they were with Levin Yehuda elsewhere, then they would pay twenty thousand dollars, not each in total. Okay, so Reuven and Shimon together would pay twenty thousand. Each would pay ten thousand dollars. If, on the other hand, Reuven and Shimon testified that Mike wore shot wore shotness on a certain day, and they gave him warning, and they told him, "If you wear shotness, you chayav makot." And Mike said, "I don't care." And then it turns out the Adim's own mean what happens to them? Because based they on the cost, they right, say it again. They got my code. They got my code, and they each get thirty nine, or however much they can take. Um, Split it. You understand the difference? Because when it comes to, they were trying to make Mike lose twenty thousand dollars. That was the conspiracy, and so therefore they together as a group have to cough up twenty thousand dollars to give to him. But when it comes to makot or worse, mitat beitin, a capital punishment. They were trying to get him to be punished to a certain measure. They have to each accept, get that same measure. That's a sugyan makot that you know we'll get to when we when we get to the beginning of makot in a while. Okay, so that's just to lay the groundwork. Now here's the sugya that we looked at. We're going to quickly go through it again because I really want to spend my time, our time today, with the Rambam and a really interesting uh, rach and riff and a little bit of the history of early rabbinic, uh, you know, sifrei uh, psak and how that all develops. Uh, I'll introduce you to one or two chachamim that you may, we may, we have not formally met yet. Itmar. All right, so we have the, uh, the uh, well-known uh, introduction of an Amoraic statement. Itmar, Eid Zomeim, what's the real of Eid Zomeim? Abaye Amar Lemafreya Hu Nifsal. Now, this is a discussion that, if you think about it, should be taking place in Makot, where all of the discussion about Edim Zomim is in the first parak. Edut generally is there. And yet, it's in Bavakama. Why is that? We'll see. Eid Zomim, which means that his, he is rendered an invalid witness retroactively. Now, let me ask you a question. Retroactively to when? I'm going to give you three dates, okay? Um, Mike... Uh, Ruven and Shimon walk into the Beitin on February 1st. And they say that on January 1st, Mike stole um, uh, Bob's animal. On March 1st, or maybe it might make it more realistic, on February 10th, leaving you to show up and say, how can you testify about something that happened on January 1st? January 1st, you were with us at the Rose Bowl. Now, we do accept Levi and Yuda, and Reuben and Shimon's testimony is thrown out, and they owe Mike $20,000 in the case that we're talking, but they're also rendered invalid witnesses. 
We have to discuss why. But when does their invalidity go back to? Abaye says it's Lamafreya, it's retroactive. So you have really two, two choices to what retroactive means. Again, the scenario is on February 1st, they testified <clears throat> that on January 1st, Mike did something wrong. On February 5th, Levi and Yehuda come in and say, Reuben and Shimon, back on January 1st, you were with us, you couldn't have testified about that. When do Reuben and Shimon's status, when does their status as Adim Zomim kick in? What are, you, what, are you, what are the options? Option one, forever, backwards. No, forever, forever meaning what? Um, any Anything that they testify any to. Any testimony they ever gave in their entire life is going to be out. Okay, let's play with that for a little bit. That's, a class. Okay. That's one. What else? Okay. January 1. January 1, good. That's another one. What's another February one? 1. February 1, right? Those are your three options. I don't see a fourth option. I didn't even think of Bill's option, but Bill's option is that they should be now rendered retroactively as invalid witnesses from day one of their lives. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the other possibility, which Kurt said, is maybe they are now invalid for any testimony they may have given since January 1st. Or it goes back to February 1st. Why would it not be February fifth? What's what's because up about this wording? Retroactive from the time that I found to have retroactive been, has to mean no. something before today. Right. So it can't be February fifth. So see, February first, January first, or always. All right. Let's keep that open. Rava Amar Mikanul What is Rava's position? That only February fifth and on. Meaning the minute that they're identified as Adim Zomim, any further testimony that they give will not be accepted, which, by the way, is an interesting point. Well, let's play this out a little bit, something we didn't do last week. Let's say, again, using the dates that we gave, um, when's the first time that Ruben and Shimon showed up in Beitin, as far as this story is concerned? On what day? February 1. February 1. Okay, now February 1, they gave testimony and nobody sees anything wrong with it. And Mike's, uh, you know, sweating because, uh, you know, he's got to pay a lot of money. February 2nd, they're asked to be aiding at a wedding. February 4th, they have some friends who are making a business contract. They're asked to be aiding on a start. Would anybody have any reason not to ask them? Not at no. that point. Not at that point. And so then when February 5th, Levy and Yuda show up and are believed, and Ruben and Shimon have to pay $20,000, retroactively to when are we going to make them invalid? Mm -hmm. So does it make sense to say that they're invalid since February 1st, such that that wedding and that business deal now need to be redrawn because they're with invalid witnesses? Or are you going to push it back, as Kurt first suggested, to January 1st? What would be the reason for January 1st? That's when it gave the initial testimony, isn't it? Or it gave the testimony on February 1st. Oh, February 1st. He came in on February 1st and said it happened on January 1st. Oh, okay. So do you understand that January 1st is kind of a tough sell? Because nothing happened on January 1st that would mark it as from here on in, they're they're Salim. You see why? 
Unless the, you make the argument Kasha Zamam, like they were conspiring to do something to do with that date. Right. But they weren't conspiring to render Mike uh, an, a, a false witness. They were conspiring to render him liable Get for him knowledge. Right. 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 So you're arguing, and it's an interesting argument, Alan. You're arguing that, well, think about this. If they are, let's say Louis and you don't show up, Ruben and Shimon are believed. And Mike has to pay twenty. Nobody ever hears anything more. What have Reuven and Shimon effectively done? Well, first and foremost, they've effectively robbed uh, Mike of twenty thousand dollars, right? I mean, they've caused him twenty thousand mm -hmm. dollars damage. What else have they done? Mike's no longer valid. Uh, validate, right? Exactly. Mike is now a goner. Right. And it's possible, depending how we understand rehabilitation for purposes of Edut, that Mike is now an invalid witness. And if we accept their testimony, then when will Mike have been an invalid witness from? January 1. January 1, because that's when he committed the act that they're accepting. So you could, and this would be an interesting twist, you could argue that they should be invalid witnesses back to January 1 because that's Kasher Zaman. Mm -hmm. That's what they're trying to do to him. I've never seen anybody suggest it, but it's an interesting suggestion. Now, let's play with Bill's suggestion for a moment. Bill, can you argue in favor of your suggestion that, that Reuven and Shimon are now everything they've ever witnessed is, is no good? Well, there, it goes to their uh, credibility as, okay. as witnesses. So since they have conspired, then you could say, you can argue that um, Anything before, since they were incredible, were incredible. Uh, then anything, anything else they were witness to is suspect. All right. So, the, are we we game to play with Bill Bill's idea for a little bit? Yeah. I, I disagree with myself, but I mean that, that that's my argument. Okay. So let's yeah. let me let me pitch something back to you that might make you like it more. I don't know. <laughs> um, let's say that a guy is uh, straight and narrow, and then one day we find out that um, he has been doing some bad things for the last while. All right, he's been cheating on his taxes, he's been uh, hurting people, whatever it might be, something makes him rush out. When do we officially regard him as being an invalid witness as a rush out? Or is it going to be when we substantiate the claim, when we first hear the claim? to the earliest date that the claim is about or ever. Mm -hmm. So, Bill, according to your earlier suggestion, which you have already walked away from, you would say forever because now right. what does that mean? That means that when a guy who at the age of 52 robs a bank, that means he was always a thief. Do we ever have that position? I don't think so. Right. Now, let's think about why. Because let's start from the other angle. Two guys are standing there. There are people who we see in Shul. They come in Davin. We, we see them evidently as being Shomer Shabbos. We have no reason to think differently. And we're signing a document. We ask them to sign. Can we ask them to sign without confirming their bona fides? Yes. Yes, because... We assume exactly. Very good. Yeah. We start yeah. with an assumption of cheskatashim. That's what cheskatashim means—an assumption of uprightness. Now, 
can you change that assumption based on later behavior about earlier status? You really can't. Oh. Right? In other words, when do we say that a chazaka of status changes? When you have con con contradictory, con is that a word? Only <laughs> from the point that you have the contradictory evidence, right? Yeah. Okay, good. So we we I mean we played with it, but I think we got rid of it. So now our only two questions are February first or January first, and you guys seem to be leaning towards February first, right, as being the date that will backdate their invalidity. All right, I'm saying that to set you up for the passage in the Rach. Really cool. Okay, now let's take a look at the reasoning. Second line here. Why? Meaning from the moment that he gave testimony, February 1st, meaning Reuben and Shimon, he's already a Rasha. Mm -hmm. I mean, retroactively, we now realize that when he got up there and testified on February 1st, he was lying. But, but, but is Abaya then arguing uh, to go back to February 1st or January 1st? Uh, February 1st. Take a look at what he says. From the moment he testified, he was a Rasha. Ruben okay. didn't do anything on January 1st. Matter of fact, that's exactly the problem. They weren't even there. But they didn't do anything on January 1st. They, on February 1st, came in and lied. So Abaya is saying, going, at least this argument, whether this is Abaya or the Gemara on behalf of Abaya, is saying, let's go back. And from February 1st, they've already committed this lie that we've now demonstrated. Rav says it's only from February 5th on, meaning after they were found out. Why? Rav says something, or the Gemara says on his behalf, kind of intriguing. It is Eid is an unusual or innovative idea. Why? Essentially, you have two verses two. Ruben and Shimon versus Levi and Yehuda. Why are you listening to the second two? Listen to the first two. Now, let's think about it. What did Ruben and Shimon say? We were at Bob's farm on January 1st, and we saw Mike steal the animal. What do Levi and Yehuda say? Mike was someplace else. Nope. Mike's oh. irrelevant to what they say. The witnesses were someplace else. Reuven and Shimon were oh, the witnesses us okay. elsewhere at that time. Now, is that really Trey or Trey? Is that really two versus two? It kind of is, and it kind of isn't. It kind of is because Reuven and Shimon, implicit in their testimony, is... They were at Bob's farm that day. And Levin Yudar testifying, no, they weren't. They were with us in Canada. But it's not directly two versus two, because what would two versus two be? Reuben and Shimon. The facts Mike, against each other. What? Say it again? They'd argue the facts against each other. Right. Mike stole Bob's animal. He said, no, Mike bought Bob's animal. Mike wasn't there. It happened in somebody else's house, right? So it's it. Rava's argument here is a little bit strange because it's not really, and we're going to see this in the Rambam. It's not really um, um, two versus two directly, confrontationally. And therefore, Rava says, according to this, that you can only render them invalid from the moment 
that the Torah imprints its innovative ruling, which is that we accept Levi Yehuda, which is February 5th. And we can't... It's a, it's a, it's yeah. a chidush because we don't necessarily have a great reason to accept uh, Yehuda and Levi uh, over Reuven and Shimon, but we do. Right. That's kind of what he's saying. Is that like why are you believing Levin Yuda? Why shouldn't you believe Ruben Shimon? Or by the way, what's not said here, the more reasonable is why don't you just throw them both out? Mm -hmm. We're not, we're not, we're not curtailing the case. We're actually now shifting the case. The case isn't over. The case has just changed now to Ruben Shimon being in the hot seat. Right? So now that's version one of this. Ikadamri, there's another version of it in which Ravanamika by Isfirlay. Essentially, Rav agrees with the buying that Demar the Mafreo Nifsal really it should be invalid back to February first for the same reason because the guy is a Rasha and he was a Rasha from the minute he opened Reuven and Shimon were Shaim from the minute they opened their mouths and said their conspirational lie. But Rav here says that it's only from February fifth on because it's unfair to people who had no reason to know that Reuven and Shimon were out, because at the time they weren't on February 2nd, and used them to make a purchase, in other words, to, to testify for them. And now those people get hurt because now they don't have any witnesses to their purchase. So that would mean that it's that, that Rava's position is a practical position, but not an essentialist position. Because practically, we can't make them invalid on, uh, any earlier than when we render them invalid. Nothing, nothing retroactively. Right? So my Benayhu, so what would be the difference between the two positions of Rava? The answer is Da'ashidu lachad lachad. Let's say Levi and Yuna came and testified, Ruva and you were with us at the ball game. And Yisachar and Zvulun came and testified, Shimon, you were with us uh, on a cruise. So why would that be any different than think about the cases now? Ruben and Shimon say, we saw Mike steal Bob's cow on uh, ox on, on January 1st from his farm in Bakersfield. Make it easy. In the normal case we've dealt with, leaving you to come along and say, Ruben and Shimon, you were with us in, in uh, watching the, the uh, 49ers beat the Lions. Right? Or on January 1st, we're at the Rose Bowl. Right? In that case, we're saying it's really two versus two. And why are you believing mm -hmm. But here we got another case. Ruben and Shimon come and say what they said. Leaving you to come and say, Shimon, I never met Shimon, never saw Shimon, but Ruben, you were with us on a cruise. In the meantime, Yisachar and Zvulun come along and say, Ruben, we never met Ruben, but Shimon, you were with us uh, building a built house for Habitat for Humanity in, in Alabama. Right? So why is that different than the first case? Why is it different when we have... Levi and Yuda versus Ruvain and Yisrael and Zvulun versus Shimon. How is that different? Well, in in the latter cases, uh, it's conceivable in separately that Shimon or Ruvain were there witnessing the theft. Right, but what did Ruvain and Shimon say when they testified? They said, we were there and we saw the theft. Right. Besides which, if only one of them was there, we don't have any testimony. 
right? right. Now let's see. Let's. I want. I want you guys to pick up on what the difference is between the two cases. Case one is the one we've been working with the whole time. Reuven and Shimon came and say on February first. Come and say on January first, we saw Mike steal Bob's ox from Bob Bob's farm ranch in Bakersfield. And on February fifth, Levin you to walk in and say, Reuven and Shimon, you were with us at a uh, at a ball game in Pasadena at that time. All right, that's one. Two is, Ruben and Shimon say the same thing. On February 1st, Levy and you to walk in and say, we never met Shimon, but Ruben, you were with us on a hike in the Adirondacks that day. And Yisach and Zvulun walk in and say, we don't have no idea who this Ruben is, but Shimon, we were steep sea diving off of Catalina Island that day. How's that different? Disproving one part of the, of the two... It's like half a, a an aid zomim, right? But they're both muzam. But here's the critical thing: the Gemara is pointing out. In the first case, it's two versus two, which Rabbah, right. according two to this, is one and two versus one. Then I don't get why are you listening to Levin Yehuda? Listen to Ruben Shimon. What about in the second case I gave you? Two versus one and two versus one. Is, is one. So we have every reason to believe when Levin you were to come and testify where Reuven was to believe them, because two versus one. And when you saw Hans Willen come and testify where Shimon was to believe them. So now watch it in the Gemara. All right. And it's what I said, the, the, the two versus one in each case. Inami, another one, de paslinu begazlanuta. That we didn't invalidate Reuben and Shimon as Adim Zomim, but we invalidated them as thieves. In other words, two guys came and testified and said, Reuben and Shimon are thieves. Right? Now watch. The first version of Rava won't stand up here. Because Rava's first, first position was, the first version of Rava was, that I have no reason to believe you saw Levin Yudah over, over Reuven and Shimon. The fact that Torah says, I do believe them as a chidush. I can't go any further with it than the date of the demonstration that they're eating Zomim and not any earlier. But, but if I'm mainly concerned with the pragmatic, essential unfairness to other people who use Reuven and Shimon in the interim, then that shouldn't make a difference how they get invalidated by two or one. That would be the difference. Okay, here we go. Rav Papa, who was Rava's prize student, actually ruled in practice like Rava, which means there were Adim Zomim, which is interesting that they're dealing with all this in Babel. And when they were found out, Rav Papa said, from now on, we don't accept them as Adim. Any Adut they gave until now was fine. I mean, acceptable. Ravashi turns around two generations later and says, guess what? We actually paschal like Abaye, which is surprising. We talked about that, the six famous cases where Abaye and Rava have frontal disagreements as opposed to Abaye and Rava having a disagreement about how we rule in an earlier machloket. But they have originalist frontal disagreements. Six cases, Ya'al Kigam, Yehushalamidat, Eid Zomim, our case, Lechi, Hidush Nishlonim Subabiyah, Gilui Gita Milta, Begilui Milta Begita, and Mumar Lateavon. Those six cases, Abayin Rava, have frontal 
uh, originalist disagreements, and we rule like a buy in those cases. Okay, but yeah. is there is there a principle bus, uh, associated with those six exceptions? Why the ruling is in accordance with the buy? So I I did mention <clears throat> I think when we were doing this in the DOP, I did mention that many years ago. I mean, like you know, way back. Um, I remember being at a Rebbe of mine's house and leafing through some of the Sfarim he had on his shelf. And he had some, I don't remember who it was, it was he had some Akron who had written a very long topolistic essay where he argued that because we rule like Abaye in Yehu Shalomidat, that's why we have to rule like him in Eid Zomim, Mafreo Nifsal, etc. And linking all six cases together. Um, it's stretchy. It's stretchy. Okay, so now let's test Abaye's position because we're saying Halakha is like Abaye and Lamafreyu Nifsal. Now, well, I, I want to do this next part kind of quickly because I want to get us to the Rambam if nothing else. I want to quickly show you the Rach and the fascinating topic that he addresses um, and and then we'll go to the Rambam because I think there, there's something that will get us to a little bit more of the core of the issue of Eid Zomeim and his invalidity. Um, uh, but I'll just ask the question now, uh, and, then, and then we'll go on here. Why is an Eid Zomeim invalid as a witness? Reuben and Shimon get busted. All right? We're uh, discussing, are they invalid retroactively only from this moment on? But everybody agrees they're invalid. Why are they invalid? Well, they gave false testimony, didn't they? Okay. So they gave false testimony once. We busted them. Okay, now move on. Well, uh, they've lost their credibility, have they not? Okay, good. So I'm going to pose two possible avenues. Avenue one is the unique one of Adim Zomim, relatively unique, which is what you're saying. Within the particular context of testimony, they have fouled their own nest by being by being discovered as lying witnesses. There's yet another possibility. Lying in court is a sin. It's on the tablets. I know that. Right? So what where, what is that? How does that classify them? How does that classify them if they've done a sin? <laughs> They're sinners. What? Rasha. Rasha. Okay. Rasha. Now, what does the Torah say about a Rasha? We saw it here to be in, in the earlier part of Abaye. Al Tashit Yadcha Rasha aid. You're not allowed to make a Rasha be an aid. I mean, you can't accept him as an aide. So I, I want to show you that there's two different angles to understanding why an aide's domain is out at all, because you have to first clarify that before you can talk about going backwards. Is an aide's domain invalid because uniquely within the world of testimony, he's demonstrated his, his fallibility, shall we say, or his lack of credibility? Or do we say that an Eid Zomeim is invalid because he's like any other Rasha, like a thief, like a scofflaw? 
And that may make a difference in understanding Abaya versus Rabba. Let's play with it for a minute. Uh, just for a minute, and we'll go ahead and we'll go, go back to we'll circle back to it in the Rambam. Let's say that the AIDS domain is rendered invalid for the for the limited scope reason of testimony. He's demonstrated his inability to testify honestly, uh, his willingness to lie, so therefore we can't accept his word. How would that impact on retroactivity? Well, conceivably, then, uh, some people might think that he wouldn't have been credible in previous testimony. Right. So we're not willing to go before February 1st already. We've kind of demonstrated yeah. that, I think. But what would that do to February 1st versus February 5th? Remember, February 1st is when he testified. February 5th is when he got found out. If we're saying that an AIDS domain is invalid as a witness because he's demonstrated his unreliability as a witness, when would we date his unreliability to? Uh, February 1st? I think so. What if, on the other hand, an AIDS domain is invalid as a witness because he simply has now been given the very unflattering title of Rasha, and Rasha can't be a witness? Then when would he put his when when then when would he date his invalidity to? Mm. I'd say February fifth, because that's when he got called to Russia, mm. and that may be what Abai and Robert are disagreeing about. Just something to think about, All right? Mm -hmm. uh, your first reaction, also my first reaction, instinctive reaction is. Is why is an Aidzomain Pasule dude is because look, he's an Aidzomain. How can you have the guy testify? He, he lies in court. But we have to forget, we can't forget that he's also part of a larger group of Rushaim. Yeah, so, is there some rationale for one uh, superseding the other, one being more important than the other? You could say that they're both true, and then whichever one has the larger reach will take. Larger reach being defined how? Being more in validity, because not... Uh, okay, I'll clarify. I don't mean they're both true, meaning we have a safek. I mean, they're both true, meaning an aid domain is part of the large family of Rishayim, and an aid domain also has unique corner on invalidity because of his... Um, demonstrating willingness to lie in court. So then we'll say, fine. So he's really uh, invalid as a witness for two reasons. Let's take whichever reason applies in a longer stretch of time. That's I get that. That's fine. We're not going to say you need to be guilty of both reasons till we make you invalid. That doesn't make sense. A, a goslin is only invalid for one reason. That's it. So just let it cook. We're going to cut, we're going to circle back to it. So I want to just finish this little piece here. Tanan. Ganavo Pishnaim Tavacham Achal Piham. Our Mishnah says if Reuben and Shimon testify that Mike stole Bob's animal and Mike killed Bob's animal. They're proven to be Edim Zomim. Leaving you to come and say, Reuben and Shimon have to pay $50,000. Again, in the money we're using, we're using as an example to Mike. Now, we don't know now 
when Ruvain and Shimon testified about these two things, meaning was it one testimony? Was it two testimonies? Was it two testimonies at the same time? Meaning they testified one thing, testified about the other. Was it two testimonies that were a week apart? Did Reuven and Shimon walk in on January 5th and say four days ago Mike stole an animal and walk in on January 20th and say, and three days ago we saw him kill it? You understand that there's no clarity here about the proximity of these of these testimonies or even of the possible singular nature of them, meaning unified nature. So let's see. My love, So isn't it that they testified about the theft and then returned and gave more testimony, the one I just gave as an example, about the killing? And now what happened? So the first thing is, Levin Yudha said, so Reuben and Shimon said, on January 1st, we saw Mike steal Bob's animal. Then they walk in on February 2nd and say, on January 10th, we saw Mike kill Bob's animal. Right? Then they, right. So now, Reuben and Levin Yudha come in and say, how can you testify January 1st, you saw him steal the animal, you're with us on a cruise. And then on, on February 20th, Yisach and Zvulun come in and say, how can you testify that on January 10th you saw him kill the animal? You're with us, uh, you know, at a poker tournament in Las Vegas. Right? That's what we think might have happened. Now, the Yisach but if you accept Abaye, which is accepting as halacha. So let's play with dates again. According to the scenario, Reuven and Shimon walk in on uh, on January 1st, uh, sorry, Reuben and Shimon walk in on February 1st and say on January 1st, uh, Mike uh, stole Bob's animal. And then on February 5th, they come in and say on January 10th, Mike killed Bob's animal. Okay? Now, on February 15th, Levy and Yudha come in and say, how can you guys testify about January 1st? After all, you're with us. Now, that means they're Muzam on the Kevah. Now, what would that mean? That would mean that from February 1st and on, any testimony they gave is false, right? Is unacceptable, right? Based on that? Okay. That would mean the testimony they gave on February 5th about the Tfichah shouldn't be testimony at all. Retroactively. Which means they shouldn't have to pay when they get caught on that. You following? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Now, since there was Hazama on the Gneva, on the January 1st statement that they gave on February 1st, we now know that when they gave testimony on February 5th about Mike killing the animal on January 5th, that they were eating Sulim. Why would they then pay? Now, this is something that, from a pragmatic perspective, is a little bit of a conundrum. If Reuben, and Sh- if Reuben and Shimon come in and testify, and they are above-board guys, and they give all this testimony, and then leaving you to come in and armazing them, we say, ooh, every bit of the testimony w- that they gave was, at the time, considered valid testimony. Therefore, when they're busted, they're busted about all of it, and they have to pay for the whole thing. But... If they gave testimony on February 1st, and then they gave further testimony on February 5th about a second stage, 
and then somebody's mazim them about their first testimony, then that means the testimony they gave February 5th is now retroactively garnished. And if it's retroactively garnished, meaning nothing, then we can't call them Adim Zomim and make them pay. This sounds kind of funny. Mm -hmm. So now, Amri, so in Beit Midrash, they said, what's the, what's the case here? Really what happened is, Levin Yudu walked in and said, how can you testify on February 1st, on February 5th, how could you testify on February 5th um, that they that you saw Mike kill the animal? You're with us. Right? Which now means that um, that, that testimony on February 5th Retroactive to then. My testimony again on February 1st is still there. But Amri Sof Sofki Adri Agneva. But now, when later on somebody comes and uh, will come and say, You were with us on January 1st, how can you testify about him stealing it? Again, you got the same thing get, get, getting discombobulated. We now retroactively see that the testimony they gave on February 5th was nothing. And therefore, the same problem. Which means anytime, if you're going to take a bias position, which we are, anytime that you have a series of testimonies, the only thing that the Adim Zomim should ever pay for would be the first one. Because now, retroactively, realize any testimony they gave subsequently is invalid, and therefore they shouldn't have to pay for being Adim Zomim. So how do we solve it? It's very simple. They came and gave testimony on February 1st. On January 1st, Mike, um, uh, how do you call it? Mike stole Bob's animal. And uh, and on, on January 10th, we saw him kill Bob's animal. Right? But they gave all the testimony one shot on February 1st. On February 10th, Levy Yuda came in and said, you were with us on January 1st. And on February 20th, it doesn't matter. You saw Hans Willow come in and say, or February 10th, you were with us on January 10th. Which means now that there's no gap because their main issue is they gave their testimony, all of it, in the same day. So there's no gap. And you say, now, from that day on, retroactively, they're invalid, but that testimony was valid, and therefore they're Muzam and they have to pay. Okay. Now, I want to um, take you to the Rambam right now. Actually, first I'm going to skip ahead because I want to quickly show you this um, this fascinating piece by the Rach. Very briefly, Rabbeinu Hananel ben Chushiel um, was probably probably born in Italy. Uh, his father of Chushiel was big Rav in Italy, and they ended up migrating to um, to Kirwan in Tunisia, and he was the Rosh Hashiva there. He had a Talmud for a while that you may have heard of called the Rif. This is 10th century, very, very early. And Rabbeinu Hanano wrote a commentary on Shas. He wrote, he was real trailblazer, trailblazer, wrote a commentary on Shas, on much of Shas. We have much of it, but not all of it. And watch what he says. Itmar. Eidzomeim. Now, by the way, this is, this is what's fun about it, is everything that we have talked about so far is testimony about what? A theft. Testimony about a theft and a killing. Right? Mm -hmm. Classic testimony that we consider. But I I teased you a little bit with a different kind of testimony here. Now we'll see it come out. 
Now he gives an explanation. Parenthetically, the word asid, I just want to show you something interesting about it. You notice how Rabbi Nochanan spells asid? He spells it with a shin. It's a sin, right? But you know the word sahada as a witness, right? How do you say that in Arabic? Shahada. Okay, so just to twist things around a little bit. Um, you know the English word martyr? Mm -hmm. What does martyr actually mean? The word. So martyr is a Greek word for witness. The Ohel Moed is called Skene Martyriu, the tent of testimony, of witnessing. All right, martyr is a witness. What is it that a martyr does? He testifies to the truth of his beliefs by willing to give up even his life for that belief. So how would you say that in Arabic? Sahadi or Shahid. You've heard the word Shahid. Uh, mm -hmm. Shahid is. Same word. I just thought wow. you'd enjoy it. Okay. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Now, miahishata de asid havele rasha. All right, good. Now, Perush, next line. Kigon Ruvain. Now, here's where it gets fun. Shotzi star al Shimon. Ruvain brings out a star that Shimon owes him money. Benisan shnat tafshin sadichet. Now, interesting. When is tafshin sadichet? 1198. That's the example he's giving. Nissan of 1138. He says that Reuben, you know, it says Reuben borrowed this money. On the star it says, I mean, he took out the star in Rosh Chodesh Nissan of 1138, but on the star it said that the loan was made on the first of Nissan in Rosh Hashanah on 1137. Who signed on? Levi and Yehuda. So Ruvain has a star. It says Shimon owes money. And Levi and Yehuda are his eight witnesses. And they come now in 1138 in Nisan. They come and testify and say, yes, that's our signature. In other words, they're Mekayim the star. They notarize the star. Um... And now the star has been confirmed, and Shimon now is ordered by the Beit to pay money to Reuven. Now Shimon gets witnesses, and he brings them in the summer of 1138, six months later. These two witnesses come and say, Hey, leaving you with us in Babylonia. On Rosh Chodesh Nisan of 1137, the date in the star. Okay, now this is going to add a little jalapeno twist to the question. Um, and we accept what the other two witnesses say, and therefore Levi and Yehuda are now rendered Adim Zomlin. Here's the rule. Kol edu che'idu mishashin kaima edu Any testimony that they gave after Rosh Chodesh Nisan 
1138, when they came and confirmed their signatures. Any testimony from that point is invalid. You can't say that any testimony that they gave since the first of Nisan 1137, the date on the star, it could be that they made the whole thing up. They conspired with Ruvain to help him steal money from Shimon. And that they wrote the star on the first day, um, just before they came into Beitin, on the first day of Nisan, 1138. Meaning, maybe nothing was written 1137. The whole thing is bogus. And so he says, how far back can you make them invalid? Only from the point at which their signatures are confirmed by Beitin, and Beitin then issues a writ of collection against, against uh, Shimon. We don't make everybody else who used them as witnesses for that entire year lose everything they have. But notice what the Rach has done. He has extended our rule to written testimony. And that's the interesting piece. And an oral testimony, we only make them invalid going back to the date that we discovered that they were liars. Right? And then he goes on. Right? And then he he, um, he addresses different approach. Now, important to note, here's the riff, and the riff deals with a similar thing about the 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 um, the written document, etc., and the dates. And by the way, the reference is the Talmud of the Rach. Just want to show you one little line. The Ra'avad, we all know the Ra'avad, by Avram ben David from Poskir in Provence, 12th century. The Ra'avad has the following line. Which He said this only applies to oral testimony, not to a star. And he said, and he was correct in doing that, and there's no need to start looking carefully at what he wrote and to try to find a mistake in it. He wrote correctly. Now, one of the character, two other characters I want to just introduce you to for a minute, and then we'll go back to the Mamba for the last couple of minutes. The Riff, Rabbeinu Yitzchak of Fez, right, who was born in um, in in, born in Morocco, ended up moving to Algeria to learn, learned in Kirwan, and then established himself in Fez, that's why he's in Al-Fasi, and then because of the al had to run and flee to Spain, and ended up becoming the Rosh Hashiv in Lucina in Spain, and that's where he lived his last few decades of his life, wrote, he died in 1103, just to give you a sense of time, he wrote his famous book called Halachot, which was an abridged version of the Gemara with some of his own comments. Uh, it's printed in the classic Shas in the back, and it looks like the Gemara. Um, in the uh, 12th century, um, the, the, the real hotbed of scholarship in the world was in Provence. And one of the great Chachamim was Rabbi Zrachia Halevi. Rabbi Zrachia Halevi wrote a book called Sefer HaMaor, 
They like to play with their names, Zrachia, Shining, so Bala Maor, Sefer Maor. And uh, it was basically a comment and a critique of the riff. Um, and the Bala Maor and the Ravad had contentious relationship. And there's several books of their of their letters back and forth and their challenges to each other. A hundred years later, Ramban came along to write a defense of the riff and called it Milchamot Hashem, the Wars of the Lord. The names of the books are just fascinating. So the Ramban Balamor, famous Machlokot, we don't have time to look into it right now, just to kind of show you the, the, the scenery here. Um, and it all starts really with this discussion of the Rach, applying the whole sugya also to written testimony. Now, what I want to show you in the Rambam, to finish this off, eh, I'm going very fast, is two different sections in the laws of Edut. In Parak Yud Chet, he says the following, Mi she'eid b'sheker, if somebody testified falsely, it's known through witnesses that he lied, and he says the mitzvah is to do to him what he tried to do to the other guy, etc. And now, Look in halacha bet. This is when they are proven to be uzam, and we talked about how. If you have two groups of witnesses that just contradict each other, we don't have anything else. We don't know who is who. We're not going to punish anybody. Right? And he gives examples of outlooks. Now, he now explains why we believe, in the case of Edim Zomim, why do we believe the Mizimim and we punish the Muzamim? Why do we, in our case, believe Levi Yudah and punish Ruben and Shimon? Look at the highlighted part. Levi Yudah did not address, did Mike steal an animal? They're not contesting what Ruben and Shimon said. What they're doing is they're contesting Ruben and Shimon's ability to even testify about it. You were with us. Now in the red print. Why do we leave Levin Yudah over Ruben Shimon? That's what Rava says. That's just divine fiat, that we believe Levin Yudah over Ruben and Shimon. But what's strange is that in the line just before it, he gave very good rationale for believing Levin Yudah. Because Levin Yudah are not directly contesting Ruben and Shimon's testimony. They're making a comment about Ruben and Shimon. But now the Rambam explains why he says Gzerat HaKatufi. Afilu ayu aydim arishonim me'yau v'ahushnayim ezimum. Even if there's a hundred witnesses who say Mike stole from Bob, and two guys come and say, you hundred guys, you're with us, or some of you with us, we need to be mazim all of them. All a hundred are, all, all the two of them are believed against a hundred. That's the Gzerat HaKatufi. That's the divine fiat. We believe them. Okay. Now, I want you to see this other piece, which is in Parak Yod of 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 Hilchot Eidut. Parak Yod Chet is dealing with a day sheker and edim zomim. However, you notice that here it deals with the punishment and definition of edim zomim, not about their invalidity. Now, in Hilchot Eidut Parak Yod. The Rambam lists those people who are not able to be witnesses. Harishayim psulin leidut min haTorah. Anybody who's a rasha is out, right? And then he says, "Ezu rasha." If you violated a law that gets you makot, you're a rasha, right? Because the Torah says, "Imbi nakot rasha." 
you punish the Rasha, right? Uh, and then he gives all sorts of examples. If you violated a Doraita, you pasul Doraita. If you violated Dorabonan, pasul Dorabonan. If you ate cooked meat and milk together, you're pasul Doraita. If you ate cooked chicken and milk together, you're pasul Midorabonan. Right? That's an example that he gives. Now look at Dalit. There are even some people who have the opportunity to expiate their crime by paying, like causing damage. Um, and nonetheless, and they don't get makot, nonetheless, they're pasul. People who force other people, at gunpoint, let's say, to sell to them. They're psulin, right? Or ganavim. Ganavim. What does a Ganav have to do? Ganav doesn't get makot, he has to pay money. And yet he's pasul le'edut. Watch what he says. V'chein e'dzomeim in the highlight. Let's say in our case, Levi and Yudah testify that Reuben and Shimon were with them and therefore Reuben and Shimon have to pay Mike $50,000. Nonetheless, now, according to the Rambam, why is an Eidzoman Pasul? Not because of his credibility issue, but because he's a Rasha. He's a Rasha. Which would then mean, theoretically, it should be the case that he's only Pasul from the moment we identify him as a Rasha. Surprisingly, He's rendered invalid going back to the moment he testified, even though he's only Muzam later. Then the Rambam goes and lists all sorts of other people who, because of their uh, wrongful behavior, whatever it might be, are pasul le'edut. He goes at lots of examples. But notice where he puts Edim Zomim here. He doesn't put it in the section about Edim Zomim. Here's what Edim Zomim have to pay. Here's what have to do. Where when where does he list that Ainzomim are Pasul Eidut with all the other Pasul Eidut? Because an Ainzomim essentially is a Rasha. Because mm -hmm. of what he did, and therefore he can't testify. Contrary to what we instinctively all feel, which is how can Ainzomim testify? He's a bad witness. The answer is that's not the kernel of the issue. He can't testify because he's a Rasha. And therefore, as a Rasha, he's he's an invalid witness. Truth is, there's tons more to say, but I've already held you over time. And uh, and so we're gonna in, in the next year we're gonna talk about the end of my, of Paraka Chovel, which is the whole beautiful issue of of the tshuva aspect of paying for nezek, uh, and that that's sugya. We'll see it in a couple of days in the daf. In the meantime, everybody have a great day, and let's hear Basarot to vote. Naftali, good to see you there. Okay.